This is Pull Request Hot Topic. Short and sweet and hard to beat. Pull Request Hot Topic is a quick shot of tech news diving into one highly relevant topic each week with two techno experts, Eric Newman and Ryan Swiner. This week's episode, React Day. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Pull Request Hot Topic, a quick shot of tech news that I just mentioned earlier that will help every one of us. React Day 2019 was this past week, and uh, it was an all-day event, and I will condense it down to you in under an hour, because I spent 10 hours there. With me, of course, is Ryan Swiner. Hi, Ryan. Hey, all. Good. Um, nice to see you there. And, uh, yeah. So let's just dive in. Uh, the React, by the way, uh, the website for React Day 2019 in New York was reactnewyork.com. They also have React Day in other cities that are ra- ra- eh, relatively important, like Berlin. Uh, but why go there when you could just come here and go to Brooklyn Bowl and pretend to be hip, uh, uh for an all-day conference where people just talked about this? The one thing, the biggest takeaway right off the top was that I couldn't listen to any of these people do a podcast, and they were, some of them had podcasts, and they just reeked of developer speak. Like, I think both of us have kind of tried actively to avoid falling into that trap of sounding like, that, sounding like that milieu software developer. Yeah, where you you sound like Overly enunciating. Yeah, and your voice is kind of dead. Is a dead yeah. to the world voice. I, but it, I you're, and it's it. very staccato speech, but and, and overly enunciated to where because it's almost like you're writing code with words. Yeah, I think engineers in general kind of do that. Yes, and that's honestly why it's been so hard to find people to come on the show. Um, that said, though, uh, developer speak does permeate different races, ethnicities, and genders. Uh, the speakers were quite diverse. Um, the people from all around the world react as. I, I can't compare it to whatever Angular conference exists, but uh, uh, there were a lot of big media companies there, uh, like the New York Times, Netflix, uh, O'Reilly Media, you know, they publish all those books, uh, Discovery, um, uh, as well as American Express. They led off with a conversation on React Hooks, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, uh, p- p- uh, people that work for big web services like AWS or Dropbox or even uh, the do-it-yourself uh, web design service Wix. Uh, as well as uh, Jira Lite, which is Asana, and Gatsby, which is something that I still can't quite remember what it does. Ryan, you know what it does. Yeah, what does Gatsby a, do? Gatsby's a static generator, so it's like uh, it's a smart a way what to use React without a router. A static what generator? A static website generator. So it basically lets you write in React so you can componentize all your stuff, but then lets you grind it down to flat HTML. So it's like not server-side rendering, it's pre-rendering. And uh, it just does a few... It's not server-side rendering? No, there's no server. It's a flat... You know, you can just... Serverless. You can just generate it and deploy it. So um, as like a GitHub repo on GitHub pages or something. So then do you manually have to generate these static URLs and then because the output is just an HTML file, then that's instantly crawlable by... Does it for oh. you? Yeah. So it uh, oh, does it? Does it do it for you? Does it's it all know? baked in. Yep. So if you're using something like React Router or any sort of React routing, you can put in Gats. You can just hook that up to Gatsby, and it'll figure out the static pages it has to create for you. No, no. I think that's one of the that's one of the truisms or one of the general generalizations of Gatsby is that the goal is to 
make a static website. And so you create six different pages, essentially. What do you uh, mean the goal is to create? I guess that's if you're not building an, an app that's interactive, if you're just building a website, it would be better? Or Yeah, if you're building a website, I mean, we're kind of going, in, going into the Jamstack world where you sort of have a statically generated website and then a GraphQL endpoint somewhere else that that does all of your data transactions it uh keeps the stack nice and light so i guess this is this is more in line with that this is more in line with that way of thinking and it's like a it's a hybrid approach so remember react was originally conceived of as just a view layer it was it was or uh, just the front end just the front end it wasn't conceived of with a router and that was like an add-on as people people wanted to make these oh, single so page I'm applications. Oh, sorry, right. It wasn't even a full front end. It didn't have routing. Right. But yeah, then they it didn't cr- have and there's a ton of different routers now that exist. Yeah. Um, just like there's a ton of different ways of handling global state management. Another problem that React or created but was never really, well, I guess not created, but never really solved officially. Um, yeah. But it's good because the 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 uh, open source landscape is very democratized. Kind of. No one's using the the framework I wrote because you know. Why use that one, Pete? You could use Facebooks or Googles. But <clears throat> but the some of the solutions to the problems that are introduced by these big name frameworks are democratized. And if they get popular enough, then they just kind of bring them in. They just get incorporated into the next release of whatever it is. Um and the and the biggest new feature has been hooks. But before we get into that, uh let's talk about the food. It was okay. honestly not that good. We were there all day. We didn't have a lunch break, they served us lunch. We could stand around and talk to the other nerds there, eating. And you're like, in New York. You not mean, even, this isn't be... even New York. This is Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Oh, Williamsburg, okay. I went to a conference uh, last year, I think it was actually, uh, in Williamsburg. And, I, and they had a fantastically catered vegan lunch, which was, mm-hmm. I mean, it was delicious. I'm not, I, uh, I, 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 end up, uh, have, I end up dating a lot of people who become vegan through a variety of um, food allergies and not because of their ideological supremacy, which I'm, I'm glad. And um, so I'm no stranger to vegan food. And honestly, there's quite a lot of vegan food that's very good. And there's a lot of very good vegan restaurants here in New York that you can go to even if you're not vegan. But still can't beat a slice of pizza. Anyway, um, the thing is, is that they had like a, a crudite with hummus and then ribs for lunch. The ribs were pretty good, but the problem is if you serve people ribs and then have four 30-minute talks afterwards with people just kind of talking like this and okay, and now we have we wrap this component in another component to be able to attach this aria label to it. The aria label has to hook in from a state variable that we're pulling in and you'll just go to sleep. Yeah, there's no context fact, there. We saw someone pass out. He was just zonked out. <laughs> Almost with his mouth open at the first talk after lunch. They had a couple coffee breaks. The coffee was mediocre. You know, they didn't even have alternative food options. There weren't any. There was nothing gluten-free. There was nothing dairy-free. There was nothing vegetarian or vegan for Williamsburg. And I can imagine this was not a, I mean, I, the, these tickets were not cheap. Where's the money going? Yeah, that's that's uh, the funny thing is a lot of the the food options and stuff. I was living in L.A. before this, and so that sounds very normal there. I would have to say, really, I would have to. I would like to think that 
LA would have a similar affectation for food alternatives. They would, yeah. But then me, now that I'm I'm in Vegas at the moment, and there's oh, just like none of that. It's almost like they don't care. It's like a whole a whole foreign world where like you know when you're in centers of metropolitan life, that's one yeah. of the things that comes with it. And then you go outside, and they're like, "Yeah, what are you gay? Why do you want a salad?" Like, well, <laughs> I like eating healthy. Where did that comment come from? Why uh, is the food of my food on my food? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I remember when I visited my sister uh, in, uh, in in Lompoc. Sorry, Lompoc, California. I don't like uh, long O's. Um, and and all of the food, all of the restaurants there, even Santa Maria, or all that, were that were just this. You know, outside of your your standard Chinese Japanese Thai place, which was all the same place there, steakhouse. Um, uh, it was all like a low quality protein that was that was fried or baked with low quality cheese on it and fries on a bun. Yep, that's that part of California. That's that's that part of America. That's a lot of America. It is. And here I am, Mister Democrat Jew elitist Brooklyn stereotype, and <laughs> and. I'm saying, where's the vegan food at a conference in Williamsburg? But seriously, where is it? Because if you're spending $5,000, $1,000 on a ticket, you better have some gluten-free stuff there at least. Yeah, you better check the boxes. You better give the, give the gentrified people what they want. Yeah, where's the kosher meal? Do they even have kosher meal? You know what I'm saying? But after the conference, they had an open bar, which kind of made That's where the money feel went. better a little bit. That's know. where it was. Alcoholics yeah. running the event. That's, the That's what it is. Exactly. Save it, save your calories for the open bar and the free bowling. It was at Brooklyn Bowl, and I, I'd only been to Brooklyn Bowl like maybe once before and said, I'm not that cool and don't go to cool shows as much as I should. And uh, But, yeah, they have real bowling there, except that the pins are on strings, which Ow. is annoying. That's old. It's almost like duck pin bowling. Have you ever been duck pin bowling? No. Candle pin bowling? They had this when I lived in Pittsburgh. It's a poor man's version of bowling where – the pins are smaller and they're on strings. And instead of a bowling ball, you have like a shot put. And okay. you know, there's no finger holes, and you just kind of like roll the shot put underhand into the pins. Okay. And and then they swing over, and then the pin setter just yanks them back up, and then sets them back down, and they're all straight. That seems uh, efficient. And, and so, I'm sorry. It's a vaguely efficient. Yes. Um. And so. Brooklyn Bowl had real bowling, but they had their pins on strings, which drastically limits the amount of, they call it, pin action that that goes on when you roll a ball down the lane. I'm sure it's easier, easier for them and the amount of people that the amount of money they make from bowling over selling concert tickets is probably minimal. But still, as, an, as a bowling enthusiast, I, uh, I care. Anyway... Yeah, to the real a, stuff. when you hit a bunch of pins, they they fly across the across the lane. Not if they they're spin. on strings, they don't. I wouldn't think they the would. idea of having a pin like hit the back of the pins, hit the back of the the pin setter, and then come flying forward and 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 knock down a couple other pins doesn't happen when they're on strings. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway, <clears throat> to the real stuff. Um, a lot of people were talking about bundle phobia, which is a website that is very useful. It'll tell you. The heaviness, the co- the uh, cost of including li- whatever library in your app bundle, but there was this kind of disconnect between the sentiments of the people who were bundle phobic, as in, well, we can't import this whole library because it's twenty five k, 
but the app is 10 megabytes. If you're going to save 10K to take away a lot of functionality that could be used later, but your app is in the order of megabytes, I really feel like that's being pound foolish. Pennywise pound foolish. I used to work for a place that would not even like properly fork dependencies. They would just literally delete lines that they didn't think they needed. And then some, they'd have some incompatibility or something would break later, and they would go wonder, wonder why. Well, it's because you hard co- you, you, you didn't even properly fork this stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like if you're going to jump into, if you're going to be in the NPM world anyway, if you want to benefit from all these open source packages that let you think at a higher level most of the time, you just gotta, you just gotta accept the extra weight. In a way, well, it's, like, I mean, I, I could totally buy the argument if we were trying to make this fit on a floppy disk. Yeah. I'm dead serious. Oh, this is 25K. We can save 10K on this one megabyte floppy disk. Fine. That's fine. We're talking about shipping an app that's 10 megabytes. Why is it 10 megabytes? It's not from the extra 20K in this effing file. No. It's from some other garbage that's bloated. So, anyway. That, that's something that I noticed was a common trend throughout the speakers. Um, I haven't heard anything about – I didn't hear anything about WebAssembly, actually. I think I know that's another thing that's building in popularity, but nobody really mentioned it there. Yeah, it's like around the corner. It's, it's one of those things that's been around the corner for a long time. I'm wondering how close it's getting now because the, the- everything has a Wasm target now. You can basically write in anything – and target Wasm and get a and get a binary to do what you want to do in the browser. Is that the way of saying it, Wasm? I've heard it. I've heard people go that way with it. I just I'm uh, naive to it. That's just my. Uh, that's how I'm going about. I don't it. know. I would have. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I would have. I would have just said WASM, but that's me. Um, but that also sounds like a radio station coming in live. WASM ninety eight point seven. It does. Anyway. It does. Um. Wasm almost sounds yeah. like describing a group of Anglo-Saxons. I just don't know what the M is for. Many, many white. It could just be males. Wasm. Why just there white you Anglo-Saxon go? White males. Anglo-Saxon males. I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, studio audience are still around from the last show. That's great. You guys Wasm. can stay here, but there's no open bar for you. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not paying for that. Um, it's it, it what what's interesting though is that there's been generally a low adoption rate i think from the big companies on this new stuff which is great i well i'm sorry i shouldn't say it's great it's definitely interesting because it's slower than i thought it would be and mm-hmm. i was kind of in, i was kind of expecting all all of the presentations that i saw to be using like the latest react or the latest react paradigms or the, or like redux sagas instead of regular redux and they weren't it was very interesting. So to go back to what you were saying about Wasm, white Anglo-Saxon males, WebAssembly, um, that I f- it might be like three to five years away before it's actually it hits it hits that tipping point to where everyone wants to use it. I think yeah, it's probably like in, it's not going to be a generalized thing. Like people aren't going to be replacing their JavaScript by like writing. Well, no, but I mean, think about replacing something like three JS or D three with with WASM. Yeah, I mean, because there's ways to do anything that you want to do in the browser with, like, um, with assembly. In, and it'll in be other... mad fast. Yeah, and they say it's... that one of the targets, one of the one of the things that's going to be great is 
Unity in the browser to where you have full-on video games that run at native speed in the browser. Didn't, and, didn't wasn't there a proof of concept for that already? Like with Angry Birds? Uh, I think there, there are. Ago? I think there's people that have done um, a significant number of demos of what Wasm could do. It basically makes the browser language agnostic. You can just traditional like old school programmers could just go write in C or write in. Java or write in whatever, create a binary and put it in the browser to do your DOM and anything that interacts with the browser's API, you can just do in whatever language you want to use, whether it's Rust or, or Go or whatever is. Uh, That's interesting. What the kids are doing um, now. Yeah, and, and when you think about so- stuff like that combined with another thing that is really hitting mainstream now is React Native, and React Native, Native has been out for four years, I believe. Um, mm. React Native is definitely gaining in popularity, and people are we're kind of trending to a right once deploy many ecosystem. Much, mm. of the, much, uh, despite what Steve Jobs wanted, but he's dead, so whatever. Um, the, but the thing is, is that it it it, it loops into. I, I hope that there's some kind of coalescing into a standard way of doing something. But remember, this might be the standard way of doing something in React when there's also ten other JavaScript frameworks. Yeah. What is going to displace React next year that React is displaced already? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, people that are learning or get coming up to speed, I think that might be what fuels the adoption of new frameworks. Like, I wrote in Vue a lot more than I've written in React. And Vue is a great framework. But one of the funny things I noticed is that in this third version in Vue 3, they took out some of their um, their declarative structure of their of their components and now it looks a whole lot more like react it looks like it looks more like a react class type component than it did than it does the declarative view structure so it's like they it's like they made an architectural choice or they're like actually the react people had it right and so they've gone more in that way but i would say that vuex the built-in state management i'll take it hands to any day i'll take it over over redux or what any about state hooks? management i i actually don't know anything about hooks you you and that's uh, another that's another thing i was surprised to see a lot of people not having adopted hooks even though that's been out for almost a year now and is honestly i think it's been the biggest paradigm shift in react since it came out i actually don't know the concept what is the what is the pattern that you it's global what is state it? what is management and basically you have a use state function that returns a a getter in a setter context or okay. whatever kind and, and you and you send it an initial value okay so i so you would say it so you would you would you would uh use a destructuring array to get those two out so like you could say uh you know a, re, a bracket posts comma set posts equals bracket equals use state uh parens uh, uh, curly braces. So you initialize. You have a, you now have like a hooks for posts that are initialized to a blank object, and then you have two essentially global contexts that you can use in functions. They don't even have to be classes um, hmm. or components, and it kind of gets complete completely sidesteps the uh, unidirectional data flow of React hmm. and can. And people are starting to be are starting to use it as a Redux replacement, which is really interesting because people aren't happy with with or they're not. I think Redux is is becoming too cumbersome for people. 
And especially with whatever the hell Redux Sagas is, I still haven't figured that out. And nobody I, I mentioned actually, it there I, I either. They are. Nobody mentioned it there either. They all, all of the Redux that they talked about were regular Redux or you're using Redux Thunk. I didn't hear anything about Sagas. That's have interesting. You, have you ever played with Vue and the Vuex, like their way of doing state I management? I no. It is, it just feels very simple and lightweight. It's built in. You don't have to import anything to implement it. And um, you just have actions, uh, mutations, and um, oh, what's the other? These is actions and mutations. And um, no reducers? No, no, you don't really write reducers. You just write uh, mutations, and all that's kind of handled. It's it's probably it's probably less rigorous than than writing a whole bunch of reducers, um, but it essentially accomplishes the same thing in a very lightweight way. And then I found when I went back to React to try to write, and I'm like, oh, I, I learned how to do this global state management pattern with this one directional binding. And so now I feel like it's been a long time since I've touched Redux. Redux should be easy now. Redux is not easy now. I went and looked at it, and I'm like, that is still as complicated as I remember the first time. Yeah. And and Sagas is even another... Sagas are? Sagas is an, even another level uh, above that in terms of complexity, which is why probably a lot of people aren't using it, especially since you have to refactor everything. I, I think Apollo client, the GraphQL world is going to eat their lunch as far as like state management in general, because it's a, it's a general solution for both local and remote querying. Yeah, and, and there state are some services, so some some serverless quote unquote GraphQL instances that you could just tie into your stuff. Yeah, you can and... totally just write one endpoint that just is your application. And just be done with it. It's amazing. Yeah, and in fact, WordPress even, uh, for some reason, WordPress is still tagging, is still existing and still being updated and still very widely used. And there's even a GraphQL API to interface with WordPress. Yeah, there's a plugin. There's a plugin for it. You can just... That's, but that's what I'm saying. But WordPress, it still has relics from 2004 PHP in there. It does. It's so ironic that that hasn't been replaced with some node microservice or something. I'm waiting for... You would think the, the the dev community or the the core group of developers like they would write a a node equivalent or even a Python and anything I've heard else of equivalent Ghost as a that's supposed to be a node version of WordPress, but no one's using it. There is a node so, version of WordPress. I mean, it's not written by the WordPress people, but it's I think it's called yeah Node Ghost. Uh, really, the number one open source headless Node J uh, Node CMS. Huh. Wait, yeah. what's it called? Ghost. Ghost. And it's supposed to be an approximation of, like, the WordPress API, but when... It's not... Dupli- it's not... I mean, it's a CMS. Okay. Okay. Where you can publish posts and stuff. Got it. Which is got basically it, what it, WordPress has turned into, so... Um, yeah. Uh, GraphQL definitely is, is blowing up, and more things are moving into GraphQL, and uh, it's something that, that I think I've, I really need to get into now. You need to... Like, it will, it will sell you on itself. If you, I've seen it before. Every time I look at it, I go, "Damn, I really need to do something with this," and I never do. So I, I need to. I, I have to figure out how to how to loop this into the the pull request website. Um, but anyway, moving on. Um, we talked about hooks. We talked about React Native. Well, we, one thing about Redux is somebody had a presentation about how to dynamically load reducers. One of the gotchas of Redux is that you have to load all the reducers at the sa- at, at 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 compile time. 
mm-hmm. or you have to run, and all of the reducers run every time. So there's a way with, I think it's like using uh, React's lazy, uh, React.lazy, React's lazy loading plugin um, that allows you to kind of dynamically include reducers based on some configuration files. And then it only ends up loading the slices of the reducers that you need, which is pretty cool, I have hmm. to say. Or you could just throw the whole lot of it away and use hooks instead or GraphQL. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then a lot of people were talking about serverless stuff, which is, I guess, a, a really insane cloud service. I don't know why they're calling it serverless since it obviously involves multiple servers, but you might as well call it the void yeah. rather that than the cloud. It's like but, it's like renting versus owning. I, well, I that's tried, the thing I is that to... as people were as people mentioned, oh, and if you need a lot of computing power, you could rent it by the hour. And I was like, that's a that's time sharing on a mainframe. That was what computing was yeah. fifty years ago. We've gone yep. all the way back around the dial. Well, the nice part. That. The nice part. Let's say you make a dud app. You're not paying. Uh, I actually, uh, and now Google has created Cloud Run, which is essentially just serverless for entire applications. I, but it's I hate the word I hate the term serverless because obviously it's it's like a distributed service that's running. Yeah, I get it. It's like you're using a bunch of cloud services and like Is it because you don't have access to a specific server and you're just deploying like a Docker image to the cloud that it's it, serverless? It's it's because you're only writing you're only writing your controller functions. You're basically you're you're only writing the part that handles the request. You're not actually writing, you're not actually conceiving of your API structure or your uh, you know everything else involved. You're only writing the controller function and whatever other pieces, and so you're writing every endpoint in abstraction of all the other endpoints. Hmm. I I'll have to dig more into it, or maybe we could do a future episode about it. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Most of the media companies there, Netflix and Discovery, talked about ways of handling larger scale apps, um, like with A-B testing or uh, mannered, or or what we had talked about earlier about creating a white label app that you can peel off instances of and then allow and then delegate the brand level styling to a product manager or to a brand manager, and then they can just apply the style, bake it into the app, and then you have another app. Um, yeah, and then well, and the the idea that was underscored is the 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 ability to uh, allow other teams or other brands to have con- maintain control of an app that is basically a template. Hmm. Um, let's see. Wix gave a presentation just about React Native uh, and how they did their pivot. Remember, they were like entirely Flash five years ago. Now they've do- now they dove headfirst into React Native and they said that all of their React Native code is open sourced and somewhere hmm. on GitHub. Um, interesting. Uh, let's see. Uh, people talked about code splitting, which is kind of what we hinted at earlier. Um, and, uh, next.js, nobody from next were there, but, uh, next.js is something I've been looking into recently that does, that is like a layer on top of react that will automatically create these static files from a dynamic app for SEO purposes. Okay. Um, there was a guy that talked about good design principles and, and how to do that. He, he had this whole spiel about how you want to requesting typefaces by character. And he said, you only download the character. Yeah. So like if you, if you want to, if you're built, let's say you're building a logo in CSS, which is not a good idea. Yeah. Let's say you're building a logo in HTML and CSS and you want to use a certain font for part of the logo. So you, but nowhere else on the site, you could literally download 
the characters in the word that you need. And that's it. That's a hideous level of tedium. It is because, I mean, for a variety of reasons. One, this guy doesn't know about typography. He really doesn't. And he's like, oh, I, had, I wanted to use uh, this, this other font because uh, I like the ampersand and I used four fonts in this logo like it was an accomplishment. No, that's really bad. Um, that's really bad. And he's talking about good design. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. The thing is, though, is, like I said, the takeaway was how to load remote typefaces. But all of his fonts were Google fonts, too. He didn't use anything. He didn't do anything cool. So my question is, if you made the logo in Illustrator, let's say, and then you outlined it and exported it as a compressed SVG, that's going to be less. And you could bake that right into the app. You don't have to request anything. Yeah. Why, why not do that instead of every time you need a new letter, you have to make a round trip to Google's server to well, download that letter? We know the phone. answer. The answer is that the guy asked himself that question one day, and he got wrapped around the bit about solving that problem, whether or not it was a good problem to be solving. And he came up with a bad solution? Oh, he came, yeah, he just came up. You, you know that girl? Uh, what's her name? She has a she has a whole YouTube follow. Uh, Gertrude. No, she has a whole YouTube following around making bad machines. No, I haven't heard about it. Okay, there's this girl. I'm trying to remember her name. I'm not going to remember it. But she has like an alarm clock that basically is like a like a a rubber hand on a motor that spins around, and slaps her in the face, and like she. Her whole thing is that she's like she's sort of playfully engineering where she'll conceive of a problem that's hard and then she'll just start solving it. And I heard someone say that um, the essence of comedy is 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 man up against an impossible situation. And so essentially this is what she does is she puts herself up against like basically an impossible problem and then tries to solve it with like what she has in her house or like what's around her like a. Like a robot like arm, like a robot arm that she tries to train to feed her cereal. That's funny. And so it like it accidentally picks up the milk and pours it in her lap, and then like tries to like doesn't quite get any cereal on the spoon, and then gets it not quite to her face. Uh, yeah, send me a link to that. Like that. That, that, that. That looks pretty. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I can't um, remember her name. The thing, the the thing that. There, there was this motif that was going on throughout the day as well about kind of like what this guy was mentioning of, excuse me, of downloading um, characters one at a time. Which matters more, lower latency or lower or higher throughput in a given connection? Higher because, throughput. like, imagine if you have higher latency, but when you finally get the connection, you have like a gigabit down, a gigabit a second. Mm-hmm. versus having very low latency, but your maximum throughput is like a megabit a second. Yeah, I'll take throughput for most most applications, almost all applications that I can think of. Right, but when you're doing things like requesting fonts by character, you really need lower latency than than higher throughput. Yeah, that's true. Because you don't want like that one because you don't want that one character to take forever. And I have a feeling that's kind of the reason why this guy, that was kind of the reason, I, I, I'd like to think that was the reason why, uh, behind this guy's presentation. Because I'm sure loading all these fonts definitely weighs down a web page. It absolutely does. So if you request characters of them at a time, then that should help. But the way that he went about doing it was really bad. Hmm. One thing that he did mention, though, um, is uh, to use WebP, I believe. WebP. Uh, 
which is a better PNG, uh, better than PNG format. In fact, WebP offers almost 30% smaller file sizes with comparable quality and supports an alpha channel. Um, yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've heard of this affecting, um, like affecting SEO and stuff now. Um, it's well, I mean, load time has always affected SEO. Yeah. Yeah. So, anything you could do about that. Um, and like, and that goes back up to the people that are shipping 10 meg app bundles. I just don't, I don't get it. I don't know. Anyway. Um, then there was a presentation on, on, on forms, which was interesting because, oh, actually before I talk about forms, uh, there were two presentations on accessibility and they were like, one was in the beginning of the day and one was at the end of the day for some reason. I don't know why they weren't grouped together. By the time the second one happened, you almost forgot everything the first person told you. But uh, they gave, I, I learned a couple new ARIA attributes. I would suggest looking them up and seeing how different ways that you can, you can control them um, as well as, as how to utilize React so an attribute isn't rendered. That's basic stuff, uh, but it's still, it's, still thing, it's still something you want to keep in mind. Uh, especially because there's a very aggressive law firm going around suing people for accessibility, just like what they were doing with the uh, podcast patents. Really? How how big does your company have to be before they come after you for accessibility? You'll know when you get the letter. Man, yeah, they're like, we think your market cap is big enough to send you this letter. Yeah, exactly. And all, and then they'll send you some evidence, like they'll pull up an accessibility, go to contrastchecker.com and say, oh, you don't meet the minimum contrast requirements and my mom is blind and she would love to use your website but she oh my god so we're gonna sue you um yeah in fact i believe Domino's asked the supreme court to drop a lawsuit about that if i remember correctly um court accessibility i think that's right uh ask supreme court how uh oh i don't know anyway uh, it's another story. Um, yeah, so accessibility is important. It is something that you should definitely try to include because you want to be inclusive as possible in the apps that you create. The only, my, only, my only qualm is that it might create really arcane design limitations. Imagine <laughs> if they included in, in these guidelines, oh, no trypophobia, Good, goodbye textures, even though yeah. trypophobia is provably not true. You can give yourself an anxiety attack. I know that pers- firsthand. Uh, Anyway, um, and oh yeah, and then there was the forms discussion. Now, I mentioned that because of two reasons. One, it turned out that the guy that was doing the forms discussion was the MC for the event. Uh, in my mind, I think he should have gone first, but just so that transitions a little better than when, you're, when he's up there and just like, intro, like, like, okay, well, that was a really nice presentation. And the next presenter is, oh, it's me. I'm here to talk about, and like, I don't know. It was it was it was a weird it was a weird transition, and then he made a bunch of kind of rookie presentational mistakes. That if I ever get the chance to talk at one of those things, I hope I don't do. But this guy definitely is smart. Um, he runs a web consultancy in the city. Uh, he may have had help from his parents to help bootstrap that unfairly, uh, mm-hmm. and he created a form library called Formic F O R M I K that is used by I'd, I think about 17,000 people or 17,000 downloads at least. But what happened was he was supposed to present something about react suspense and uh whatever that does. And mm. and hell and 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 I guess that uh see I would know what it does if he had presented it. 
Um, but uh, then we'll have to leave that for another day. Uh, this new feature allows you to defer rendering of your application tree until some condition is met. Ah, okay. So it helps let you allow. Okay, so it helps let you control rendering, which is which is fine. Uh, but instead of that, he talked about this form library that he wrote. But what he did was he basically started coding it in front of us with this long preamble about how forms suck, and he that was like half of his presentation. The other half was him typing in VS Code live, like he was writing the library from scratch in front of us, which was an extremely bad idea. Yeah, because time when you watch cooking shows. And they don't do all of the cooking in front of you. No. They do most of it. And then they say, and this is why they all have like two ovens and, and five stoves. And they pull the other, they say, and this is what it looks like when it's done. Yeah. You know who, who does a good job of that is, uh, and I, I think I wrote about this as one of our ideas for a future segment. Um, Siraj Raval does a great, a great version of that. He does really good rapid prototyping videos. Yes. Well, this, I mean, this was, I, I don't even, I don't know if this would necessarily qualify as a prototype, but it was an example of how his form library worked. The thing is, is that his form library doesn't do anything special, but that's both a good thing and a bad thing. It doesn't do anything special, but at the same time, if you were to roll your own form implementation of React, it would kind of end up like this. Mm-hmm. So you should at least give it a look and see, because I, I, I read it on, I read the source code while I was listening to him talk. Uh, and and make a few typos and then wonder what where they came from. Um, and like I said, it was it it seems very straightforward and it's very simple. But I guess it's just it's the bog standard kind of way to do forms in React and it works. But it doesn't like I'll give you an example. I wrote a form system for my PHP framework that was the biggest mistake I made this decade. And okay. you can do things that you can't that that uh, let's say add value to the form system that are outside of just handling forms or having a good workflow for handling multi-page forms or asynchronous forms in PHP. Mm -hmm. You could do things like GOIP validation. When you're setting up fields, you can say a validation type GOIP, and you could set a list of countries or whitelist or blacklist of countries, stuff like that. And then it'll automatically determine if the the submission is valid. You don't have to do anything else. Mm -hmm. This doesn't have anything like that. Or even valid email addresses. You can say, you know, input type is email, which you'll have the browser validation, but you're not going to have the form... You're not going to have the form level validation. Yeah. Uh, it, that doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. So. That's but, a pretty big one to miss. Yeah. But at the same time, like I said, if you were to write your own form implementation in React from scratch, it would, I would probably end up like this. Hmm. So. Also, it was, God, it was full of himself. I didn't, I didn't there's going to be so, so many alternatives there. for something like that, though. There's a, there's a million different ways to solve that problem. Yeah. Yeah, there is, but I, I but like I said, he has a good solution, but it's not a great solution, and it doesn't do anything special outside of just being a very standard way of doing it. Hmm. And I guess uh, that's the benefits of uh, having a good trust fund. You can just kind of do regular things and get pat on the back for it. Yeah, I mean, I wonder. <laughs> I mean, I, I wonder. I mean, he has he has, like I said, a lot of users on GitHub. Um, but there are a few issues on GitHub, too. Like, it's extremely slow with more than five form fields. So, uh, I don't maybe, know. Maybe he advertises it. Maybe that's what he did. Maybe. He ran ads. Anyway, you know what, Ryan? We're at, like, 40 minutes. Why don't we cut it off? Okay. I think this is it. I think this has been a pretty good hot topic.
Hopefully that was. It's a little bit longer than I'd like, but hopefully it was a nice little shot. We'll get. We'll get hotter. News. We'll get hotter next time. It'll get time. hotter. We will get. Yes. Yeah. We'll get hotter as time goes on. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. I'll talk to you later. I guess we need to have a. Uh, we need to have a catchphrase for this. But the catchphrase was in the beginning. <laughs> Hot sizzling. Yep. Got a sizzle sound. We have a what? I was like throwing a, a sizzle oh, no, sound in there. That doesn't come through well at all. No. No. Mm. no. All right. Well, until next time, Ryan. I'll talk to you later. All right. Later. See ya. This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on pull request do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium LLC or its subsidiaries.